1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is far better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Well, good morning, everyone. Years ago, somebody asked me the question, if you were charged with the crime of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And... Um, In our country, there isn't actually any charge of being a Christian. Uh, In some countries, there are. But in some instances, we could be charged with things because of our Christian faith, even in the country that we're living in. And today, we're sort of going to be talking a bit about that. We know that the persecution of Christians is a very real thing. Uh, This very week, I was reading in the Australian newspaper, which is a secular paper... Um, and they quoted some statistics. In recent, and the article said this, in recent years, the persecution of Christians has reached unprecedented levels. A 2019 report commissioned by the British Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, found Christians constitute 80% of the world's victims of religious persecution. And yet... Christians only make up 30% of of religious followers in the world. 80% of religious persecution is copped by Christians. Now, in many situations, being a Christian will paint a target on your back. Uh, But in what way are we identified as being Christians? What's the evidence to convict us? Of, oh yes, you're a Christian. Um, And Peter refers to this as our good behaviour in Christ. But he gives a bit of a twist to it. Our good behaviour in Christ is very much linked with suffering for Christ. In verse 13 he asks, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now that's sort of like, that's a rhetorical question that begs the answer, no one. No one. Nobody would want to harm us if we're really striving to do what's good. But the thing is, they do. And so the rhetorical question, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Well, the actual answer is there's lots of people who can physically harm us. But on the day of judgment, we will be vindicated and we will be justified. And people, those who have harmed us and those who have rejected Christ are going to go, oops, uh, you Christians were right. And it's not just that God's going to stand in our corner that day. 
It's because God is the judge. And disciples of Jesus Christ are not the ones who are going to be in the dock. It's going to be those who have rejected Jesus. And many of whom will be also people who have persecuted Christians for righteousness. Righto. So in this paragraph of his letter, Peter identifies five features of good behaviour in Christ. And the first is being zealous for what is good. Isn't it interesting? You know, sometimes, oh, yeah, Christianity is a good thing, but we, we don't want to become one of those born-again Christians. You know, they don't want to be, become one of those. They're just way too zealous. But this is what, the way we're supposed to be. You realise, don't you, there's no such thing as a Christian who isn't born again. We have to be born again. And to be zealous is an eager striving. It's an enthusiasm. It, it's to be excitedly seeking after something. And that thing that we are supposed to be excitedly seeking after and striving for is for what is good. And in the context of the reading, this is being zealous for Christ. This is what's good. Jesus is good. It's, it's not just a zealousness for morality. It's not just a zealousness to make sure that nobody's breaking the law. It's a zealousness for Jesus. Back in chapter 2, Peter mentioned that we've tasted that the Lord is good. I don't know if you remember that message. But we've got a taste for Christ. We, we've, we've experienced him. We've got a taste for Christ. And, and, and we've experienced the wonder. We've experienced the joy. We, uh, uh, this wonder and joy of not just being loved by God, but of being brought into an intimate relationship with him. That's what Christianity is about. We don't just know about God. We're actually brought into relationship with him. And if we have truly tasted Christ, and if we truly know that he is good, how could we not be excited about him? Is there anybody here excited about Jesus? Yeah, sometimes I look out, I, I see the people in church and we're, listening very carefully. Then I, I see sometimes people really excited about their faith. Um, so how could we not be excited about him? How could he not become the most significant aspect of our lives? How could he not become our whole universe? Everything else pales into insignificance compared to Christ. And, and to be zealous for what is good. It's not just about being zealous for good behaviour. I'm very glad Robin found one of my good report cards to read to you um, about being well behaved and everything for the kids' story. But it's not just about being well behaved. And it's not just about being excited about our theological knowledge. Oh, I discovered this about God. It's all of this. And it's the relationship that we experience with God. And we're so excited about the relationship that we have with God that we want others to have the same thing. We don't want them to miss out on it. It's the best thing ever. I've got to share it with them because it's the best thing ever. And, it, and it's about living to please him. We so love Jesus. We want to live to please him. So it's about the goodness he has given us and it's about living good, about doing good and about sharing good. Now, generally, generally, 
the world's okay with Christians being well-behaved, right? Generally, people are happy about that. But only when it aligns with what our culture considers good behaviour. Because sometimes our culture will consider something as good behaviour when actually God finds it an abomination and vice versa. And so there's times when they're not so happy with us, with our good behaviour. And there's also another time when they're not so happy about Christians being well behaved. Uh, it's when we show them up. Um, it, it makes unbelievers look bad sometimes, right? So there's the two aspects to it. Sometimes the world decides that something is good, but God has named it as evil. So let me give you an example. God tells us to worship God and God alone, Yahweh. Yahweh is a jealous God. He is an exclusive God. There is no other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? That's what we believe. But the values of our culture hate the very thought of that. They see it as arrogance. They see it as excluding. And they see it as intolerance. Um, and yet, to our, because to our culture, tolerance is probably one of the key virtues, or perhaps the key virtue, right? So by, our, by the world standard, it's okay for you to be a Christian. And it's okay for you to believe what you believe, as long as you also believe that, that every other religion is just as valid. Which, of course, we can't believe that, because that's a lie. And God told us so. And then the second aspect is, is something that we talked about a couple of months ago. The rebellious like to live in darkness because the light exposes our evil deeds. Um, last night, just on dusk, we were, we were sitting on the veranda outside having, having dinner. And then after dinner, it was getting darker and darker. We saw the bats flying over. You've probably all seen the bats flying over. Where are they going? Most probably to the grapes. See, they think that the darkness is going to exp will hide their evil deeds and they can go and eat away and munch away on the grapes during the, during the dark. And the rebellious like to live in darkness because the light exposes their evil deeds. When, when disciples of Jesus live righteously next door to people who are doing the wrong thing, they'll become more and more conscious of the fact of, of their darkness, of their deeds. You see, darkness doesn't seem so dark until it gets compared to the light. And so Christians get ridiculed. Uh, there's been times when you, you might have been called a goody-goody or a religious nutcase or something. Or maybe not to your face, but they might have thought of, or maybe to your face perhaps. But just when they see your behaviour, well, why, why are you so well-behaved? You don't need to be. And, and they actually, the reason that they're having a go at you is because your good behaviour exposes their bad behaviour. But we're zealous for what is good. We're zealous for Jesus and we're zealous to live in a way that pleases Jesus. Now, by common law, we shouldn't be harmed for being zealous for what is good. Should we? Shouldn't be. 
But unfortunately, our lawmakers are becoming so ungodly that by our nation's laws, there are times when Christians can be harmed for being zealous for Christ. By the way, do you know what that's called? That's called injustice. It's, it's unjust when somebody is condemned for doing righteousness. And a judge of the Supreme Court may very well be able to punish Christians for being zealous for Christ. Particularly, there's a whole vast array of various anti-discrimination legislations and whatnot. But there will come a day when that judge, and let me be clear, the judge doesn't have any choice in the matter. He just has to judge us by the law that the lawmakers have made. But one day that judge and the ones who have written the laws will stand before the ultimate judge. And on that day, disciples of Jesus who suffered unjustly for righteousness' sake will be blessed. Which brings us to the second feature of good behaviour in Christ. Disciples of Jesus will often suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, when we suffer for righteousness' sake, as I said before, that's what we call injustice. And this is nothing new. Jesus himself suffered a great injustice. And so will many of his followers. But we need not fear this suffering. Did you know that, that that's the main reason for persecution? The devil and, and the children of the devil want us to be afraid. They want you to be so afraid that you won't be zealous for Jesus. This is what it's about. This is what Christian persecution is about, to make us afraid to be zealous for Jesus. And sadly, many, many Christians are ineffective and they're not zealous for Jesus because they are afraid. And in our nation, it's not even about losing our life. It's not even about a fear of being jailed. It's not even a fear of being tortured. It's just simply we're afraid of getting a bit embarrassed. We're afraid of copping a bit of ridicule. We're afraid that not everybody's going to be our friend. We're afraid that people are going to say bad things about us. But Peter tells us, that even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What do you think he's thinking about when he said that you'll be blessed? Remember, I think I say it just about every week as we've been working our way through 1 Peter that um, time and time again, you can see where Peter is thinking back to things that Jesus said. And some of the words that Peter uses here are echoes of the words that Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Pretty much echoes of the words, aren't they? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Peter reminds us that, that Christ also suffered. And through his suffering and through his physical death, he has brought us to God. And that's the blessing. 
we may very well suffer now, but it's a privilege. It's a privilege to suffer for righteousness sake. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. And short-term suffering, really, it's not that bad, not compared to what we're looking forward to, being with Christ. Thirdly, in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. This is something that sets true believers apart. It was only two days ago we had Christmas. Uh, we didn't have Christmas carols in our community this year with COVID and whatnot. But at Christmas time, it's not uncommon that even unbelievers will give a bit of lip service to Jesus. Right? So if we watch the Christmas carols on the television, we'll often see celebrities, some of whom live quite selfish, godless, immoral lives. And then they take the stage to sing Christmas carols that proclaim the holiness of Christ the Lord born in a manger. But to many who sing these words and to many who sing along with these words, to them it's just empty words. To them it's a, a seasonal celebration. To them it's empty religious words. But it's different for us. For disciples of Jesus, these words mean so much more. We don't just honour him with our lips. We acknowledge his holiness and we honour him, not just with our words, but in our hearts. It's much more than some kind of intellectual recognition. I know this about Jesus. And it's much more than a seasonal celebration. This is something that comes from the heart. And that's what sets us apart. And it's not something that just happens at Christmas time. It's something that comes from our heart all year round. We acknowledge the holiness and the wonder and the goodness of God. Fourthly, good behaviour in Christ includes being prepared to witness. As Christians, we're different to other people. You get that, don't you? As a Christian, you are different to other people. Do you remember right at the start of this letter, as we started studying it, do you remember how Peter addressed the letter? He said, to those who are elect exiles, or the NIV puts it as, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Do you sometimes feel like a stranger in the world? Some of you do. Sometimes do you feel like you just don't really fit in? Sometimes you don't feel like you fit in. And there's a reason for that. We're different. We're not the same. We belong to a different kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. We don't belong to the kingdom of this world. We belong to the kingdom of God. We don't belong to the kingdom of darkness. We belong to the kingdom of light. 
Last weekend, Robin and I went off to Robin's grandmother's 100th birthday. And we met lots of people there. Um, because of the COVID restrictions, we sort of had to have three separate parties with about an hour break in between so that we were limited to 50 people. But so over that time, we, we met about 150 people. Um, and, you know, the people that I really clicked with as I talked with them, I sort of discovered that they were Christians. And they weren't just a bit religious. It was that Christ was in their hearts and they were zealous for Christ. And these were the ones that I delighted in spending time with. It's like we were, well, some, in some cases, we sort of were family. Well, I'm, a, I'm an in-law, but, but it, was, it was like we were close family. And then other times, people that we might have even been closer related to just didn't have that same click. We didn't have that commonality. Do you know what was missing? We belonged to different kingdoms. Instead of being in the kingdom of, of the world, I was talking to people of the kingdom of God, and they were the ones I clicked with. And when we live by the values of the kingdom of God, Others will notice that we're different too. When, this is when we truly live by the values of the kingdom of God. Right? So when you suffer for the sake of Christ, you might think that nobody notices, but some will. And when we're struck on the right cheek and we turn to them the other cheek and we don't retaliate, other people will notice. Some will go, oh, you're weakling. But others will notice that and think long and hard about it. When we honour Christ from our hearts and it's not just lip service, they'll notice there's something different. And when we live lives of submission and we don't keep standing up for ourselves and we put the needs of others before the needs of ourselves, others might notice that. And occasionally, and this may have happened to you before as well, but occasionally somebody will be so struck by the difference in the way of life that you live that they'll see your hope. They'll see what we're living for is unique. And sometimes I'll ask, why do you do that? Why don't you stand up for yourself? Why, why do you just let other people say that about you? Why do you keep doing good even though people do something bad back to you? And Peter says in verse 15, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Right? So when we live this way for Jesus, what should be, people should be noticing about us is that we have a different hope. We have something different that we're looking forward to. And when somebody ever asks you that question, we need to be prepared, right? A, a, a childlike faith is all we need. We know that. But let's be able to articulate what a childlike faith is. Let's never be ashamed of Jesus. Let's be prepared to tell others why we have the hope that we have. To just simply be able to say, God has been so gracious to me. 
how, how could I not be gracious to others? Oh, God has rescued me from death to life. He's rescued me from sin to holiness. How could I not be excited about that? Let's be prepared to tell them that, you know what? When I was baptized, I died to the things of the world. And now I'm alive in Christ. And so even if the world was to put me in prison, even if I was to be put to death for my faith in Jesus, they can't take away eternal life from me. I've been born again into this eternal life. And let's be prepared to tell them that that we are so sure of the good news of Jesus. We are so sure of the gospel. You know why? Because I'm already in a relationship with God. I don't have to wait until I die and go to heaven. I don't have to wait until Jesus returns for me to experience communion with him. I pray with God every day. And he speaks to me in various ways and through his word. And he gives us tremendous hope and tremendous joy simply with this communion that we have with God. Are you with me? We don't need to make anything up. We don't need to have this great, big, fancy, polished testimony. We just need to be prepared to share with people the hope that we have in Christ. Now, if you don't have a hope in Christ, then that's going to leave you wondering. But do you have a hope in Christ? Do you have a simple hope in Christ? Well, think about it and prepare how you can share that simple hope that you have in Christ, how you can share that with others who notice this hope and want to know why. But as with everything we do, when we share our faith, we are to do it with gentleness and respect. Good behaviour in Christ includes gentleness and respect. Sharing the gospel isn't supposed to be about pushy salesmanship. That's not how we're supposed to share our faith. It's about gently and respectfully sharing our faith. Peter tells us that when we have gentleness and respect, this gives a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. If you have been slandered, it's hurtful. It's very hurtful. Jesus knows it very well. Jesus was slandered. Do you remember the false accusations that the religious leaders used to make about him over and over and over again? And as Christians, we need to be ready for it. We will be slandered. Do you notice there that what, they're being, what we're being slandered for? Our good behaviour in Christ. That's what we get criticised for. And so as we do the right thing, we get slandered because of it. Now, 
don't know about you, but my sense of justice and injustice, it, it, that makes it hard to remain gentle. That makes it hard to remain respectful when we're being slandered for doing the right thing. But he's saying here, remain gentle. Remain respectful. I started trying to think about examples of this, and the one that my mind immediately went to was something that happened to the Apostle Paul. At one stage, Paul was hauled before the religious authorities, and the high priest said to his lackey, hit him, and they did. So they struck Paul. And Paul turned on him and said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you going to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those other people, they went, <gasps> are you going to talk to the high priest like that? And Peter actually apologises. He says, sorry, Paul, thank you for correcting me. Too many P names. Paul actually apologises. I had Paul written here. <laughs> so Paul actually apologises. Oh, I didn't know he was God's high priest. Now, I wouldn't have done it otherwise because the scriptures say, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Right? So even though the high priest of God, who is supposed to be representing God, even though he was persecuting the people of God, Paul acknowledged that he should have been giving him respect. And sometimes we Christians get it into our heads that we should only respect the authorities if they're good. That we should only respect the authorities if their actions align with what we want. But even as we suffer persecution, it may even come from the authorities, but we still need to be respectful. And Peter gives us the reason why. It's so that those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. If as Christians we do the right thing and we're respectful and we're gentle, those who put us down will be put to shame. Now sometimes that will happen in this world. Sometimes somebody will mistreat somebody for right for... And they, even though that person's been really good and righteous, somebody will come down and hammer them. And then sometimes you'll see others, even people of the world, rebuke that person for what they've done. But not very often. So it may happen in the world as we know it, but ultimately those who unjustly persecute disciples of Jesus will be put to shame on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. The fact of the matter is, and this is something we've just got to accept, is that Christians may suffer unjustly and we may suffer for righteousness' sake simply because we follow Christ. But that doesn't mean that we should rebel that doesn't mean that we should take matters into our own hands. That doesn't mean that we should lead an insurrection against the government or whatever. It, it doesn't mean that we target those who have been targeting us. That's the way of the world, you see. It's not the way of Christ. 
It's not the way of the kingdom of God. And so Peter says, it's better for you to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Make sense? If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for doing good. Top marks. Good marks on your report card. You've suffered for doing good. If we suffer for doing evil, well, we've just got what we deserve. It's our own fault. But what about when we suffer for doing good? That statement that Peter just made is something that a lot of Christians can't accept or they won't accept it. That it is sometimes God's will for his people to suffer, even though they've done good. Now that messes with some people's theology. They can't bear to think that it could be God's will for us to suffer. You've probably heard it said, Jesus suffered so we don't have to suffer. You've probably heard it said that Jesus was killed so we don't have to be killed. Jesus' body was broken so that I can be healed. You, you've heard things like that said? I have, over and over and over again. Now, unfortunately, a weak faith, a worldly faith, a fleshly view takes the eternal promises of God and it applies them to today. You see, Jesus told us that in this life, there will be troubles. He told us that in this life, there will be persecutions, there will be hardships, there will be suffering. But in glory, everything changes. When Christ returns, he's gonna give us a new body. There's not going to be any more suffering. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more persecution. See, some of us are starting a bit old. And I've got a sore knee at the moment. I'm gonna, I injured it a few weeks ago and it's not getting better. So in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to go and have an MRI, see if they can fix it. But I know one day it is going to be fixed. Some of you have trouble sleeping at night because of the pains that you suffer. You know what? Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. But that's going to change. We're going to be given a new body. There will be no more physical suffering. There'll be no more pain. There's not going to be any persecution then because there's not going to be any persecutors when Jesus returns. Nobody's going to make fun of you for your faith because everybody's going to join with you to glorify God and give him honour and praise. There's not going to be any more injustice simply because there's not going to be any more evil. And we're going to be living in the kingdom of the one who is the just and righteous God. But until then, at times, it is God's will for us to suffer. Do you know why? It's because that's the way of Jesus. When we were baptised, 
We were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. Now, most people only like to think about being baptized into Jesus' resurrection and not into his death. But, but that, you see, skips the whole step of God transforming us. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. In Romans chapter 5, he says, For we rejoice in our sufferings. Well, why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right, do you follow that thing there? Do you understand why God not only allows us to suffer, but why it is sometimes God's will for us to suffer? It's because suffering leads to endurance. It produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Endurance demonstrates that our faith is real. The parable of the sower. There's endurance in there, isn't there? Some, some of the seed springs up with great joy, but it has no root and it doesn't endure. Some of it springs up and gets going, but then it gets choked out by the weeds. No endurance. And endurance produces character. What sort of character does it produce? Somebody who's hard and, and calloused and, and won't let anything affect them anymore? That's not the sort of character God produces in us through suffering. He produces in us the character of the suffering servant character of Christ. As we suffer, we learn to suffer as Christ has suffered and we begin to identify more and more with Christ who is the suffering servant. And character produces hope. All right? So ultimately, when we don't suffer, we don't hope. You know why? It's because we're not so much looking forward to the future. Some of the most wonderful, faithful, hopeful people I know are those who have suffered greatly. You know why? What's the hope that they're looking forward to? I just want to be with Jesus. That's the hope. Whereas if we don't, when we don't suffer, we can so enjoy this life. We can so enjoy everything that this life has to offer. It's like, oh yeah, that'll come when it's ready. But we're not itching for it. We're not longing for it. I remember when my grandfather was dying. He was diagnosed with bowel cancer and he died only a few weeks later. He'd, he'd been preaching as a lay preacher in his local church every Sunday right up till about probably a month before he died. His wife had died decades earlier and he dedicated his life from that time to serving God and, and he took um, homeless, troubled boys into his home and, and gave them a place to live. That's the sort of bloke we're talking about. 
And he asked me, this is while I was still at Bible college, and he asked me if I would take his funeral. And so I went to visit him a few days before he died. And as we talked, I said to him, Grandad, you, you seem to be okay with dying. He said, oh, Michael, why wouldn't I be? I'm bound for glory. It's just the joy in his face. That was his hope. He was suffering then. But his hope was to be bound for glory with Christ. That's the sort of hope that suffering produces. It is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Some of you remember Ting Ting when she was here and she shared some of the story of, I remember her, I was talking to her about Christian persecution and she said, oh, we're really not persecuted, but my pastor, you know, the pastors get persecuted, Ting Ting's from China. And she said, but I remember a pastor said to us one day that, you know, yeah, we could go into jail, but, or whatever, but or we could even be killed for following Jesus. But glory, and her face just lit up as she said, glory. And that's what people of the persecuted church, that's the hope that they have. Jesus has suffered so that we might be saved. He brought us to God and he's made us alive in the spirit. As Christians, we are the most persecuted group in the world. Probably not so much for us here, but we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted. But let us not hide the evidence that we are Christians. If we're gonna suffer, let's suffer for righteousness sake and we'll be blessed. And so we hold on to the hope that we have. Amen.